Thank you, worship team. So we're continuing our four-week series on Christian community today. Uh, we're going to look at two texts. So the, the second text we're going to look at, where you can kind of put your thumb if you're using a physical Bible, is going to be Galatians 6, chapter, or verses 1 and 2. Uh, on the Blue Bibles, that's page 975. So Galatians 6, uh, you can kind of put a thumb there. And then before that, I'm going to read Acts 2, 42 through 47, which on the Blue Bibles is on page 911. So we'll start there and then flip over to Galatians 6. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. So we read this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, let's flip over to Galatians 6. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, we see in this passage that your grace makes us people who are willing to bear the burdens of others, to care for others uh, as you have cared for us. And so I pray today that we would see how wonderful your grace is, and we would see this fruit that it grows in our lives of the, the willingness to care for uh, not just family, but neighbors and community, brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're into country music or on TikTok or probably a human being at this point, um, you've likely heard of Walker Hayes. No, Walker Hayes is a country artist. His big hit is this hilarious song called Fancy Like, and uh, it's, I think it's my wife's favorite song right now. She plays it so much that our kids go, Mom, not again, when she turns it on. Um, so I've probably lost about 25% of you. Like, what was today about? I don't know, Fancy Like. Um, but uh, so if you, can, if you can bring yourself away from the song, uh, something that you might not know is that Walker Hayes actually recently became a Christian sometime over the last few years. Uh, I said he grew up in church. Uh, this is, he gave all this in an interview with Southern Living. So he grew up in church, totally rebelled against it, never really cared for any of it. Um, and, uh, but a few years ago, there were several things that happened in his life that led to him eventually kind of coming to faith for the first time. Um, one of the factors was they, he and his wife lost their seventh child at birth. And so experienced this just unimaginable tragedy. But he said in the thick of that, while they were just grieving that and had no idea where to go, he was, you know, had been sober for a while and was even kind of 
flirting with the idea of going back to drinking, um, they were befriended by uh, a woman and her husband who's a pastor. And they invited the Hayes family to church. And um, this woman's Craig, uh, or woman's husband's name is Craig. And Craig's family became friends with the Hayes family. Um, Hayes actually has a song called Craig on one of his recent albums that's about this guy. But he says that this family befriended them. They provided relational care to them, even material support to them. He kind of talks about that in the song when they were really struggling and processed this grief, this incredible pain with them. And that care, plus a number of other things, were part of Walker Hayes eventually coming to Christ for the first time. Um, It was the a big part was the care that was given to him from people in the body of Christ. And so today in our series on Christian community, we're going to focus on how Christians, you know, individuals and Christian communities care for one another. We're going to look at what that means and how that connects us to the story of Christ. And so the first uh, question that we're going to answer is just what does it mean to care as a Christian? What does Christian care look like? And our Galatians passage, uh, which we'll spend our time in first, uh, tells us what, or shows us what this is. So in verse 1, Paul starts with a specific command. So he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So just a few verses above this, Paul wrote this. He wrote, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so what he says there is the Holy Spirit has made us spiritually alive. It's brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And uh, for Christians, he guides us using God's word and our community and our own consciences so that he kind of sets a path that we follow and we walk in. And so what Galatians 6.1 describes is when someone veers off of that path, someone who is walking in the right direction, but then something happened and they turn and they slip off. And that's not just a mistake, that's like a choice or a series of choices that take them out of the path of the Holy Spirit off in a different direction. You know, today that might look like, you know, slipping into a destructive habit like Walker Hayes could have with his uh, alcoholism again, or into a bad relationship, or beginning to take in voices that claim to, you know, be true, good, and wise, but that actually aren't any of those things. Now, a self-righteous community when something like that happens, they would just say, see ya, you know, you messed up, you had your chance, and you're done, you know, we'll see you maybe eventually someday if you come back to your senses. Uh, You offended the wrong person, you're out. But what is the Christian community supposed to do? So Paul says, you who are spiritual, that doesn't mean you who are next level Christians, that just means you who are still on the path, you're still moving in the right direction. He said, you who are spiritual should shame them, should cancel them, No, it's you should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So what he says is our response, not just to the mistake, but to the actual failure of uh, another person who's walking on the path, should be to go after them and try to restore them gently. So that word restore is used in another place to mean like someone mending a net that's broken. So we should seek to go after the person and do what we can to see their soul mended and then brought back to where they're supposed to be. And when, so when Paul says, you know, keep watching yourselves lest you too be tempted, 
he, he might mean lest you get kind of sucked into their sin, but he definitely does mean without you becoming prideful or self-righteous about you going to get this person and bring them back. So it says, when you go after them to restore them, do it with a gentle spirit and with the humility of knowing that someone might have to come restore you one day too. Someone may already well have. And so we're going to come back to the specific kind of care there, spiritual care, uh, later on in the sermon. But Paul goes on to expand this command into a more general one. And he puts some really strong language behind it. So if you look at verse 2, he goes on to say, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul does this a lot where he'll kind of shift metaphors quickly and uh, to paint kind of this composite picture of something he's trying to say. And so here he shifts from someone who's kind of veered off of a path to bearing someone's burden, to carrying a weight that someone else is carrying. Uh, You might remember this if you watched the 1992 Olympics, or maybe you've heard the story. But uh, in those games, there was a British runner named Derek Redmond who tore his hamstring during the 400-meter dash. He was a sprinter. For sprinters, this is like the biggest event of, you know, their life to that point. Um, He tears his hamstring early on, and he kind of falls down on the track uh, long enough for the other runners to finish. So he's the only one left on the track. And then he stands up, and he starts kind of doing his best to kind of hobble along the track to get to the finish line. And as he's going, his father... Um, I'm choking up, uh, sorry, his father, Jim Redmond, breaks through security to run onto the track to put his arm around his son and help carry him across the finish line. Um, there's actually a, yeah, there's a photos from the footage of that time. Um, that's what it looks like to bear someone else's burden. So Derek's father, Jim, comes onto the track and helps him bear the burden of his own injured body across the finish line to finish that race. That's what we mean. That's what Paul means when he says, I want you to bear the burdens of another. Um, You can take the photo down and put the screen up, guys. Uh, Or I'll just weep. I'll just lose it. Um, I was crying on my keyboard while I was writing this. Um, So... uh, So Paul finishes uh, this verse, this command, by saying that this fulfills the law of Christ, bearing another's burden. Now, if we'd been studying the book of Galatians up to this point, the whole book, we would see that this statement is shocking. Because Galatians is a short letter. It's just six chapters. This is the last chapter of the book. Um, And it is almost entirely Paul rebuking the Galatians for trying to use God's law as a means to become sort of more righteous or super Christians. And so he uses the word law 27 times. 25 of them are negative or at least like heavy, that the law is a a burden, not a gift. Um, There's once he uses it in kind of a neutral sense. Only here does he use the word law as any kind of good thing. So in the other, all the other instances, Paul uses law to mean the Old Testament law that people tried to use as a means to make themselves good enough to please God or to really impress God. But all through Israel's history and all through life as well, that they just failed over and over and over and over again because just by the nature of our hearts, we can't do that. We can't become right with God by keeping a set of rules uh, well enough, uh, including that law. And so what Paul says over and over in the letter is that that way just doesn't work. That the way that we're made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ 
which we receive freely as a gift that he has earned for us, not that we earn for ourselves. That's why we say that we're made right with God by grace and not by law. So Jesus removed the burden of obeying that Old Testament law from us. And so what Paul says here is that we, we unburdened people, we free people, have a form of law still on this side of that grace. And what that law looks like, he says this in Romans 13, um, is he says that love is the fulfilling of the law. That love as God defines it, the love that we're supposed to have for our neighbor, um, that fulfills the law of Christ. That is the direction, that is the path that Jesus walked for us and the path that we are supposed to walk. So uh, Martin Luther, you know, as a German theologian, said the Christian is a perfectly free, something like Lord of all, servant to none. At the same time, the Christian is a totally bound servant to all, um, both of which are in the Bible. And that tension is uh, expressed here in that we are totally free um, to earn, from earning God's favor to be saved by grace, and we are bound to fulfill Christ's law by bearing the burdens of our neighbors. So to pull this together, Christian care means bearing the burden of another for the sake of Christ. So to help them move forward in a life of faithfulness to God by carrying their weight with them. So that means that our churches, our communities, our families, Christians should be known, uh, neighborhoods and countries too, for bearing the burdens of others. And so that's what care means. Now, let's look at how we're supposed to care for others. This is kind of the second question of what kinds of burdens are we called to bear? What does Christian care look like? So if we just stay in our Galatians passage, we see that the first thing that Christian care looks like is it looks like bearing one another's spiritual burdens. So that's one kind of burden we're called to bear. We're called to bear spiritual burdens. So if someone veers off the path spiritually— A Christian community should be a people who go off after them and help them come back, who seek to restore, to mend their soul with gentleness and humility. A few months back, uh, we had an equipping night with Rob Hamilton, who is, he's a licensed counselor and an ordained pastor. Uh, You can find the video for it is on our website. Um, But one of the things we talked about is that just like medical care has a spectrum that runs all the way from like wellness, which is practices that keep your body healthy, to like emergency room care where you are, you know, dealing with someone who's critically injured and trying to save their life and everything in between. Uh, Spiritual care kind of has the same sort of spectrum. It has this range of practices and ministries. So a foundational practice of spiritual care is just being honest and vulnerable with a Christian community. Now, we talked about that in our first sermon in the series two weeks ago, and so we're not going to dig in on that, but confessing our temptations and our sins to a small group of people that we trust and praying for and encouraging one another, um, that carries, helps us bear one another's spiritual burdens so they don't become too heavy and so that we can be mended along the way. Uh, Most of our community groups have times every meeting or every couple of meetings maybe where if they're co-ed, they'll break up into men and women and they'll kind of share at that level and pray for one another. Um, That's within a circle of people that we trust so that we can, you know, carry those burdens together. Um, And that's important because sins and spiritual issues, they can be like cancer. 
where they start small and relatively easily treatable, but if they're left alone, they will grow and metastasize and spread to other parts of us, and so we try to see those treated early on. And so if you're in a group uh, or a community that practices just that basic confession, speaking truth to each other, um, into each other's lives, praying for each other, encouraging each other to keep in step with the Spirit, then you're practicing spiritual care. So you're doing a level of what this is. Uh, At the other extreme of this care spectrum, um, at a church I served at previously, there was a man who came to us in a pretty advanced stages of a lot of destructive choices. Not just one, but a lot. He'd lost his family. He'd lost his career. He was deep in some bad habits. Um, he had kids that he was you know, trying to support, and um, he was still chasing some of the things that had lost in those. But he was finally ready to begin repenting, to begin turning around uh, onto the path. And so this was an emergency room situation. And I was part of a care team for this man that included, among others, a staff pastor, a non-staff elder, his community group leader, and the leader of a group of men who shared some of his particular struggles. Um, We also had a counselor, a financial coach, and one or two other people looped in as well to provide care for this man because of how deep he was and how deep his needs were. Um, And it was a steep-looking recovery. Um, But I talked to the pastor friend from that church recently, and he said he's never seen this man in such a spiritually and relationally stable and joyful place as he is now. That he is being mended, has been mended through the care, the intensive care in this case, that uh, was provided through that church by God's grace. Because people were willing to help bear his burdens with him. Now, before we go on, I just want to point out sort of like a road we're not going to go down today. Um, you know, it's another sermon. Um, but the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is one of the foundational documents for us, says there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation on those who truly repent. And that's true. There's nothing that can't be repented of. There's nothing we cannot be forgiven, nothing that can't be covered by Jesus's grace. And that means there's nothing too great to receive spiritual care from us as the church. But that last phrase, who truly repent, is vital. Um, So to repent uh, literally is a military term. And so it means to be walking one direction and then to turn around and face the other direction. Of I was heading south and now I'm at least turning north and moving that way. And so what this says is that if someone swerves off the path and they turn around and they want to come back, we can help. But if they swerved off and they are not interested in getting help, then there's, there's no thing we can do. Um, I had a counseling professor who said that if, if people want to change, they have to want to change and they have to want help. Um, if they don't want to change and they don't want help, you know, they could sit in any number of counseling sessions, have any number of conversations with people. We still can still love on someone, but we can't actually bear their burden because they're not moving in the right direction. And so, once again, that's a, uh, a different kind of, a different thing, but I just wanted to acknowledge that, that there are situations where care is not what a person is looking for in that moment, and we just can't provide it if they're not looking for it. Um, but Christian care includes spiritual care. Christian care also includes physical care. So let's turn back to our Acts passage and look at verses 44 and 45. This is on page 911, if you're using the Blue Bible. Page 911, verses 44 and 45. It says, And all who believed were together, 
and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. If you'll remember from the last couple of weeks as, we, as we've talked about this, uh, this passage is a snapshot of the very earliest Christian community after the Holy Spirit brought Jesus' presence into the lives of his people. And we see here that part of that community was the willingness not just to be together physically, but to see their possessions as existing more for the good of the community than for themselves. And to respond to their neighbor's need, not just with kind of a verbal expression of sympathy, but with actual material aid to meet that need. Now, in verse 45 describes people, you know, in our words, liquidating their assets. So losing their property, trading it for cash, and then giving the cash to the church to be distributed as it's needed. Um, later in Acts, we see a man sell a piece of property that he owns, like a you know, chunk of land, and giving the money to those who need it. The Apostle Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthian church, um, which includes kind of raising money to relieve impoverished Christians in Jerusalem uh, because that region was being hit by a famine. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There's a historian named Tom Holland um, who is not the actor who plays Spider-Man, Tom Holland. Different Tom Holland. Um, he's not a Christian, um, but he wrote this book called Dominion. And um, it's about, I think the subtitle is like, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And so he um, you know, never really believed in Christianity. As a historian, he was first interested in the empires of Persia and Greece. And he said that as he studied those empires, he said that they produced incredible works of architecture and art, and like they achieved these wonderful things. Um, but there's a coldness and a cruelty to both of those empires that you read about them and just the norms of the way that their society ran. Um, our kind of insides twist at some of the things that we read from them. And so he kind of set himself to study just as a historian, like, where did that come from? Like, how can I, can, I see the grandeur of these civilizations, I see the beauty of some of their works, and at the same time be just, like, repelled by the, the moral values, some of the moral values I see in them. And what he realized, he said, as he studied, and why he went on to write Dominion, is that the, the values that we have today aren't, they're not natural values, they don't arise spontaneously within human cultures, and they're not neutral values, they're not just sort of out there like, you know, the, the laws of physics to be discovered by anyone who looks in the right way. He says the values that we have, including things like the dignity and worth of all human beings, uh, the value of even people who are poor and need to be supported rather than support others, those principles came from Christianity. Um, they came from people who believe that God created all people in the divine image and who believe in a God who became poor who died to bear the burdens of forgiveness and life for his people. And so that's what you know, dominion is about. It's about lots of things. But uh, Holland saw that, and that totally changed his understanding, which had been just like a casual dismissal of Christianity. He's still not a Christian, but um, it is a really fascinating book. And so that's what we see, actually, through, if we look through history, we see that the, the norm, basically, across the world and across most of time is that the people who care for you and provide your social safety net, they're your family. It's your household, it's your cousins, it's maybe your tribe, if you're part of a tribe, and that's where your care comes from. 
Um, Christianity is one of the first and maybe one of the only forces in the world that extended that family care to people outside, not just my household, but, you know, outside, even across lines of ethnicity and nationality as well. Um, Have we been perfect in that? Absolutely not. Have we always lived up to that commitment? Absolutely not. But if you look, um, even at just what we might call the, uh, the institutions of mercy in our world, of hospitals that provide intensive medical care for people who are sick, orphanages, uh, homeless shelters, um, all kinds of things like that, they arose within civilizations that had been steeped in this narrative of God becoming poor to care for those who had nothing to offer him, who were empty-handed. They come from Christianity. Christianity produces people who care for the needs of others. That doesn't ascribe to us or, you know, uh, hold us to any particular way of giving care. Um, There's no thou shalt only do private charity or start nonprofits or support, you know, kind of government programs. Um, You can be across the political spectrum in this. But there's a principle that should mark Jesus's people. People whose souls, whose lives have been carried by God, who is willing to become poor for us, that we should have an overflow of care for others. Uh, And even statistically, if you kind of look at numbers today, Christians tend to outpace others in things like adoption, foster care, volunteering, giving. Um, We can see this have like a measurable statistical effect that, again, not universally true, but true on average. And so um, what it means is that for we as individuals and we as communities, um, this can look like all kinds of things. You know, it can look as simple as helping someone move. You know, I knew a small group leader at another church who said you weren't a real small group until you'd helped someone move. You know, that was sort of the seal of the deal. Um, You know, it could be volunteering together at somewhere like, you know, Lifeline, our crisis pregnancy center that we support. Uh, Joining a disaster relief team with the Southern Baptists who do that kind of work, you know, kind of help rebuild after storms amazingly. Um, So those are all ways to provide physical care. They're all things that need to be done and that Christians and Christian communities can do. And a third type of care that we're called to provide is relational or emotional care. So James, in his letter, writes, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, visit means provide some physical relief, so it includes that, um, but it also means providing relational care to this group of people who were among the most vulnerable in society. Orphans and widows were both financially and socially endangered because they, were, they didn't have that family social safety net, um, and Christians were able to provide both material and relational care for them. So in the first sermon in this series two weeks ago, we talked about hospitality as an important part of Christian community. And that's a big part of what this is about, of opening your home, your table, your schedule to someone who's in need. Um, Rosaria Butterfield, an author, uh, writes in The Gospel Comes with a House Key, she writes, radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. So to offer hospitality, just relational invitation to make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family of God. So to extend that relational grace that a good family has to others. 
Um, it can also mean, you know, kind of more extreme or intense things as well. Um, we have a good friend in a city where we used to live who um, she became a widow through divorce. Um, she has a very young kid, and that church community took her in such that she and her kid became regular company at people's houses for dinner. People watched her child while she was working on work in school. And in all kinds of other ways, people just brought her into basically an extended family, uh, a network of people who helped care for her and for her child. With everything that she's been through, people have shown relational care by carrying her emotions with her as well. This has been painful, scary, sad, all kinds of things for her. And like we talked about in our first sermon, some things don't heal quickly and some things never heal on this side of eternity. Some wounds don't. Um, The Apostle Paul says that loving one another, part of it is rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. And so that means that we carry the emotional burdens that the women and the men, men we have emotional burdens too, are carrying. Yesterday in our church building, we had both a baby shower and a funeral, hours apart. One extreme of life emotionally and chronologically, and then the other within a few hours. Um, The Christ community families at the center of both of those events are part of the same community group. And that community group helped arrange and coordinate both of those events in one day, which it's hard to think of a better picture of what it means to carry the emotional burdens of another to be there to celebrate a baby coming and to say goodbye to a family member. That's relational care. And so those are just some examples of care, of bearing others' burdens, and we could talk about more. We could go on and on and on. But where I want us to close is um, to look at what gives us the strength to fulfill this law. Where do we get the strength or where do, where do we even get our hearts changed to make us more willing to bear the burdens of another? Because, I mean, it's, there's no reason not to be honest about it. It's tiring. It can be frustrating to enter into these things. A modern Stoic uh, like Jordan Peterson would say, you suck it up and do it. It's the right thing. You find it within yourself. You flex the muscles harder than you flexed them before, and you provide the care that you need to care. You lift the weight you need to weight the lift. And, uh, you know, there's some truth to that because most of us are probably more naturally capable of this than we think that we are. Someone who's deep into therapeutic culture, kind of on the opposite side, opposite side of the cultural spectrum, would say that you have to take care of yourself before you take care of others. That self-care is where emotional labor, if you've heard the term, kind of begins because it's draining and you shouldn't take on too much of it. And there's some truth in that too, honestly. Um, People can burn out if we give and give and give more than we have to give. Churches can burn people out. We burn volunteers out, and that's something that we have to be mindful of as a church because there are always needs. You know, there's always fires to put out, hopefully metaphorical fires to put out. Um, But we have to be refreshed and strengthened to serve. But the Christian norm sounds like care that, you know, if we're honest, it, it hurts a little to give. You know, giving time that I don't really want to give, you know. Uh, opening my table, you know, paying for a meal that right now, it's, meals are getting more expensive. You know, it's harder to provide this care. Jesus said uh, that to follow him required denying ourselves, taking up a cross, and following him. And so where do we find the strength to bear a burden that can feel like dying to ourselves when it hurts? 
We're going to close by looking at a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, which can be found on page 1015 of the Blue Bibles. This is where we're going to close. 1 Peter 2, page 1015. We actually read part of this uh, in our confession time. I'm going to read verses 21 through 25. So Peter writes this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christians follow the steps of Christ. So keeping in step with the Spirit means following this path that Jesus walked for us. Peter lists Jesus' example, not just of serving, but of suffering unjustly. And then in verse 24, he says that he bore our sins in his body, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. You are straying like sheep, but have returned to your shepherd. So Christians know that we were off the path. We were way off the path, and we were heading in the wrong direction. We weren't going back. Every Christian knows this. I was going totally the opposite way. I was in need of healing and didn't want it. Uh, My sin was against a perfectly holy God, and so I was under his judgment, and I didn't care. But Jesus went after me. He bore my selfishness, my self-righteousness, my anger, my everything else in his body in death to pay for that sin and bring me back to God. And he brought me a path of righteousness. He brought me reconciliation to God, to the shepherd of my soul, not just to a way of life, but into the presence of God himself. Christians are people whose burdens are being carried by no less than God the Son himself. And we've been brought back to him by his willingly lowering himself to serve unto death so that we could be brought into the hope of new creation, where one day there's going to be a world where there are no more burdens to bear and God's God's people are going to exist with no more burdens to bear, that God is going to wipe away every tear from every eye and give us eternal life in this renewed new creation with him for eternity. When we internalize that grace and that hope, then it, it doesn't make caring painless, but it makes it possible. It makes it easier, and it makes us able to endure it with joy so that we can bear others' burdens just like God has borne ours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for bearing our burdens, for bearing our sin, for bearing our suffering, and making it possible for us to see what it looks like to care for others because you showed us the way to do that and so i pray that we would be filled we would be saturated with that truth and that grace and that would make us into a people who care for others within our body and within the world around us we pray these things in your name amen